0: Well, I tell you, it is a blessing to see a group of college students that uh, have a heart for God, heart for worship, love to serve Him. And I know that uh, who is up here represents a larger group of college students who, who are also here. They've had a fantastic summer. And I'm so grateful for those who, uh, who serve within the college and uh, within the student ministry. Um, I think on the platform this morning, we had Missouri S&T, St. Louis Community College and Missouri Baptist University represented. Uh, Maybe another one, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, And uh, also, uh, when when you think about the the college ministry as a whole, even many more schools than that, and so we're grateful for each of them, and thank you for leading our worship this morning. Uh, Just another thing to add to the list of what we've been able to experience over the course of the summer as uh, one church family together. As uh, Stephanie said at the very beginning, we do want to prepare our hearts and our minds this morning uh, to receive the Lord's Supper together. And so in a few minutes, uh, we'll be distributing uh, the bread and the juice, and uh, those who are followers of Christ, who, who desire to, to draw near and, and uh, receive communion today, you'll be invited to to participate. And uh, as, we, uh, as we prepare our hearts this morning, I'd like to invite your attention to Mark chapter 10, and we'll... Uh, We'll begin in Mark 10 thinking about service, thinking about that today as we, as we uh, have honored those uh, who serve, uh, but also uh, recognizing that, that we serve a servant king because Jesus himself uh, was a servant. In fact, a suffering Savior uh, is who we serve, and so he has modeled uh, service for us. And so uh, so even as we approach the table today and we remember what these elements represent, they, in a a very real way, communicate his sacrifice. They communicate his willingness to lay down his life to serve the needs of others and to think of you and me. And so uh, begin thinking already about the, uh, uh, the power of what is being communicated in the symbols of the Lord's Supper. I read an account that uh, took place during the American Revolution. There was a man riding on a horse and he was going by a group of soldiers, and they were uh, trying to fortify a defense battery, and they were really struggling. They were having a very difficult time trying to get this uh, project complete. There was a big uh, beam that they were trying to hoist, and it was heavy, and just wasn't many of them, and they were tired, and there was uh, one guy that was that was giving the orders and calling out, and, and as the guy on horse rode by, he stopped, and he said, hey, he said, You know, maybe you could give them a hand because they're having a hard time lifting that. And he said, well, I'm a corporal. And so the guy on the horse got off and he said, well, I'm I'm very sorry. And he went over and he got next to the the soldiers there and he got up underneath and helped them hoist up this beam and they got it all in place. They finished the defense battery. And as he was leaving, he said, corporal, sir, I just want to let you know if there's ever a time that you're shorthanded and you can't complete a task, just call for the commander in chief and I'll be glad to come and assist you. That man was, of course, George Washington. And he got off his horse to go and to help in a time of need. And I think about our Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What did he do? But he stepped out of glory. He stepped out of heaven into this earth. He thought about the need that only he could solve, only he could provide what was needed. And he did so in a loving way, in a serving way. And in doing so, he communicated to his disciples then and to His church today, that we are to follow His example, to be sacrificial servants. And so in Mark chapter 10, we look at a passage of Scripture that is really a turning point in His earthly ministry. Jesus is making His final trip into Jerusalem. He is about a week away from going to the cross. And these are the words that He shares, beginning in verse 42. And Jesus called them, his disciples, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is a lesson that he's giving the disciples that would have been absolutely counter-cultural to the time. These would have been disciples, in fact, there's examples earlier in the chapter here of of them looking for a, a prominent position them looking for a place of honor. And Jesus is saying, let it not be so among you. We come, I come to serve. Very different thinking from the culture at that time. Every encounter that one person had with another would have always been done in the context of who had a greater status or position than the other. Even right down to where people sat at the table when they had a meal together, every single relationship, there was always this idea of who had the status, who had the power, who had the position. And in fact, the disciples even brought that thinking with them. Look at a few verses before the ones we just read. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now, did they understand what they were asking for? Not not in its fullness, but we know what their heart was. They were wanting to have a place of prominence, right? Do you think the other disciples understood what they were asking? What does it say in verse 41? And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So they understood they had two guys of the 12 that were asking for, for a higher position, a higher status among the disciples. So it's out of that question that Jesus comes to give some teaching to them that, that His kingdom was not like the kingdom of the world, that those who followed Him weren't going to be thinking about status and position as those did in the uh, in the culture that they were living in. In fact, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly just human nature, I believe. To, uh, to want what is best, a better position, a better better, uh, better status, a uh, better, better uh, item, whatever that is. It's just our nature to, to want more and to want something that's better. In fact, there was a, a television show that, that aired years ago called Candid Camera. Some of you probably remember where they would, they'd put cameras in a particular room, and these unknowing people would come in. They'd be asked to do certain things, and then, of course, they'd be, uh, they'd be on, uh, on television and uh, there was a particular episode where they, uh, they did an experiment with children. And they said, we're going to have the, uh, a child one at a time come into a room, and there's going to be a plate there with two cookies on it, a big cookie and a small cookie. And there will be written instructions that they are free to have one cookie, and they can pick the one that they want. And so cameras set up. One after the other, the children came in, and every one of them made the same decision. Can you guess what that was? Each of them picked the largest cookie, the larger cookie of the two. And uh, they finally thought they might try to peel in a little deeper and see if they could get, get some perspective. And so the host of the show went in and talked to one of the, uh, the, the, the boys after he, he ate the, uh, the big cookie. And he said, you know, he said, I came in, and, and uh, if we had sat down at the table together, I was going to offer you the big cookie, and I was going to eat the small one. And while the little boys finished the cookie, he said, well, good. Then you got the one you wanted. <laughs> That's our nature, isn't it? We're just always looking for what's a little bigger, a little better. Here's the life principle that I want us to gather. There's going to be three this morning. I'll go through them quickly. Here's the first one. The world seeks greatness by ruling others. The Lord defines greatness by serving others. And that was not only something that was countercultural in the day. That's something that's countercultural to our day as well. And so this is a principle that the Lord has given to us. His words are instructive, and they will indeed set us on a collision course for the ideals, of the ideals that we find in this world. So think through that and uh, and see those opportunities in which we can be great in the Lord as we serve those who are around us. We have to ask ourselves with a statement like that. If we want our lives to be considered great by the standards of the world, or by the Lord? And so that's a penetrating question, and one that we probably wrestle with on a, on a regular basis when we think about service. Serving others is a hallmark of Christ's kingdom. From the days of the early church, we see believers serving each other. In fact, the early church dawned in, uh, and was described in the book of Acts. And in Acts, we read in the, in, in the very early part of the book, in chapter 2, that the believers were caring for each other. The Holy Spirit comes at the beginning of the chapter and dwells them. By the end of the chapter, what are they doing? They're even selling possessions that they own in order to help others in a time of need. Now that, my friends, would not have been common practice for the day in which they lived. But the Spirit was in them. The Spirit was indwelling and changing them, and immediately, they became ser- uh, servants and they became those who would share amongst themselves and with others. It was a very dramatic change from the days of James and John. And what was the difference again? It's the Holy Spirit. You see that when we are in the grip of the Holy Spirit, our lives look different. And our, our value to the kingdom is very different when it's the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Because we set aside, he sets aside the, that thinking and those, those principles that the world has ingrained within us, or even within our own fleshly nature has ingrained within us, it begins to change. And our, our value in the kingdom is much different when we are in the hands of the Lord with His Holy Spirit. I want to just uh, demonstrate this for you for a second. Um, let me begin with, with this. This is a football that says NFL on it. Wilson NFL. So, in my hands, this football is worth probably about 12 or $15, right? But what is it worth in the hands of Tom Brady, quarterback for the Patriots? I-, I read that in his hands over seven years, it's worth about $210 million, okay? It's in his hands, not my hands. Let me give you one more. Some of you all probably remember i uh, um, uh, guy that played for Mizzou that grew up in the St. Louis area named Max Scherzer, who pitches for uh, uh, Washington. And uh, this ball in my hands is worth very little, right? You know, what, a couple bucks, three or four bucks? And, and unfortunately, it's not Major League Baseball. I found one on the garage that says official T-ball. So probably even, <laughs> <laughs> probably even less than, uh, than what it could be. But I assure you, it's not worth much in my hand. But, but Scherzer, you know what it's worth in his hands? Yeah, about $20 million a year in His hands. What's the point? The point is, who's in control? In whose hands are we? In? Are we in the, in the thinking and in the control of, of our own flesh in the way that the world is thinking? That's our value, our greatness achieved by the definitions of the world. Or, as the early church was indwelled by the Holy Spirit, are we in His hands? And does our value in the kingdom change dramatically? Because now we are thinking about serving, thinking about giving, thinking about using the life that God has given us for kingdom opportunities, reaching out and touching, helping, assisting, not always knowing the difference that it makes, not always knowing the change that might happen in the person whom we're serving, but trusting all that to God. That within his economy, that if we faithfully serve, he will take that service. He will use it for his purpose and for his glory. Now, at times, we have the opportunity to see the impact it makes, maybe to a degree. And it encourages us, and it strengthens us. But there can be those seasons where we're serving, and we're giving, and we're helping, and we may not be seeing a difference that it's making. And that's, again, where we leave it in the Lord's hands. It's the Holy Spirit doing a work through the believer. Let me give you a couple of other examples very quickly. We read from Romans chapter 12 earlier during the appreciation time. And I want to pick up and read verse 3 to you. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think on himself more highly than he ought to think. So here's a a chapter about spiritual gifts. But you know who who I was thinking of in verse 3? I was thinking of... uh, James and John, right? Jesus was basically telling them the same thing, to not think so highly of themselves. told the whole uh, group of disciples that. And here, Paul is telling the church in Rome, don't don't think uh, too highly of yourself, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." So we see, again, early on in the development of the, of the church, this idea of many people with a variety of gifts within one body. It goes on to, to speak of these gifts. Verses 6 through 8 give, give a brief list of, of, of gifts of prophecy and service and teaching and, and generosity and leadership and mercy. All of these are given. There's about six different lists of spiritual gifts uh, within the New Testament. This, this is one. There's uh, another one in, in, uh, in First Peter. Uh, there's uh, about two or three different lists in the book of First Corinthians. And so there's similarities. Sometimes the categories are structured a little differently. But the bottom line is the church has been given gifts. Gifts to serve. Gifts to, to, uh, to, uh, to complement the work of the body. Here's 1 here's Corinthians 12 verses 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all In everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So very quickly, a, a takeaway from this is, who is it that is empowering these spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit, right? We've been spending all summer, June and July, thinking about what until today? Oh, please tell me you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. The fruit of the Spirit. All right. It wasn't a complete loss. All right. Fruit of the Spirit. So we looked at each one of them, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? We looked at each of these, and they are all given to us and, and fueled by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work producing this fruit. What do we see next? We see the gifts. They're not the same thing. The, the fruit is the character trait that, that Christ is developing in each of His followers. The spiritual gifts, there's a variety of them, but brought together in one church to fulfill His mission. Here's another principle that I'd like to share with you. The purpose of spiritual gifts, or you might even say it, the definition of spiritual gifts, is Jesus pursuing his mission through the members of his church. So if the fruit of the Spirit is Christ living in us and through us, these spiritual gifts are very similar, that he's accomplishing his mission through the church, through his people, giving different gifts. And there's a variety of them. And so we have to, uh, to think through, what is it that God has given to me and to you? You can read through those lists. We can see the, the serving, the, the mercy, the teaching, the leading, all the different ones. And if you think of it, it's almost like each of us has a different color. Because if you look at a palette, you, get, you mix colors with different primary colors, right? And you create a color, and that's somewhat an image for the spiritual gifts, because you'll have, you'll have maybe a variety of a few of them, and it, it brings about a, a unique gift. And if you've, if you've seen someone with the gift of mercy, you recognize they quickly can see things that maybe others in the body don't see in terms of a need. And then you have someone with a, with a gift of generosity that's able to come alongside and say, Yes, well, I'm willing to help contribute to that. I can help with that. You have someone else that has a gift of service that says, well, well, I'll roll up my sleeves and and we'll help accomplish this. And so throughout, you see the body working together, just like an individual color. So so think of it this way. Each of us is part of the church, a, a unique color. We're put on a canvas, right? And when that canvas is displayed to the world, what is it that they should see? They should see Christ, right? Now, when we when we look at the, at the gifts that we have and we either don't use them or we, we try to, to, to bleed over on the, the person that's next to us or we run or we drip or whatever, then the portrait comes up and it's, it's not recognizable. And so for us to be effective in mission and effective in service is to be able to use and employ these gifts, the variety and the diversity of them. Because verse 7 tells us who they've been given to. What, is it, what did it say? To each is given. And then at the end of that verse, it says, for the common good. So spiritual gifts are not for personal edification. Sometimes there's confusion about that. Spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of the body. They are something that are to benefit others, not personal. And so this is where God is using us to bless and encourage those who are around us. Well, I need to wrap it up so that we can uh, uh, move into the time for, for the Lord's Supper. But I want to share what uh, Jesus said at the end of, Mar- of, the, of the, the section that we read earlier in Mark uh, 10. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. The Lord's Supper table reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice. It reminds us of what He has given by laying down His life. The bread representing His body. The juice representing His blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It says that He gave His life as a ransom. That's a strong word, isn't it? Sometimes it's translated redeem or ransom. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, uses the same word in the Greek. Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem or ransom us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Look at that verse for just a second. Thinking about it in light of the cross, Jesus was ransoming us. What is a ransom? A ransom is something that is paid for the release of another. Sometimes when you hear the word ransom, you may think of someone who's been kidnapped, right? You think, well, there, there's, there, there, the, the, the captors are now demanding a ransom, and if the ransom is paid, the ransom becomes a substitute for the person as the person is then released, set free. Think about the spiritual imagery that comes forth when we think about what Christ did. He became the substitute, he became the ransom. He laid his life down for the lives of those who were under the yoke and the bondage of what? Sin. All of us sinners. All of us deserving judgment. In fact, when Jesus was praying in the garden, right before he went to the cross, he said, "Jesus, may, or God, may this cup pass from me. What did he mean by the cup? He was talking about a word that was used in the Old Testament to describe the wrath of God being poured out against sin. So as he was on the cross, he was taking the penalty. He was taking the judgment. He was taking the wrath. Did he deserve it? Had he earned that as a sinner? Had he? Of course not. Jesus was not a sinner. He was a ransom. He was a substitute for you and me. Taking that wrath. That's why when he was on the cross, there were different statements that he was making. One of them was, "Why have you forsaken me?" The wrath of God was being poured out. He was taking it upon himself. And according to Titus chapter 2, he was in a sense purifying those who would be his bride. That we would be set free from the bondage of sin and be purified. That we would be set free from, from lawlessness, from sin, and, and we would be purified. And it says that we would then be zealous. And what does it say at the very end? For, for good works. Think about service. That, that something is changing within our nature. He lays down his life for us. He takes that penalty, and we begin to change. Change. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, which is death. And we've been given what? New life. We've been given forgiveness. We've been put on a new direction. So there's the principle that I want to close with. The cross creates a new position out of which comes a new mission. And that is servanthood. Servanthood. Because that ransom, yes, it set us free. It paid that price. There was an exchange being made for our sin, but there was also a new nature, His nature that would be living through us by His Spirit. He's telling us that forgiveness is available, that a new life is possible. So as we've thought about service this morning, we've thought about servanthood, let us turn our complete and total focus upon what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so I invite you this morning to come to hold within your hands two symbols of his sacrifice, the bread which represents his perfect body and the cup which represents his blood. So this time I'm going to ask the deacons, if they would, to begin to make their way forward. They are going to to be serving the Lord's Supper to us, reminds us of what he has done I invite anyone who would like to participate to do so, but do so in a, in a manner that understands what this means because it says in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So as the deacons serve this morning, you'll notice that each cup has two cups. The bottom is the bread, and then you'll see the, the juice there as well. So make sure you grab both elements at once. They're stacked. And as the musicians play, allow this to be a time of reflection, maybe a time of confession. If the Lord identifies something within you that, that, that you've held on to, May you be able to give back to Him. Maybe there's a grudge. Maybe there's a stronghold. Maybe there's something that, 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 is, that is causing bitterness within your, your heart towards another. I encourage you to take this opportunity to lay it down. Being reminded of what Christ has done and laying His life down as the sacrificial servant. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So take time there in your seat to pray, and then after everyone's been served, we'll pray together as a church family before we uh, receive the elements together. Prayer. Heavenly Father, we come now, and we want to participate in a manner like you've prescribed. And we'll be the first to admit that none of us are worthy to receive what is represented here with the bread and the cup. But by your grace, and because of your mercy, we have the opportunity to approach you in this special time of worship. So, Lord, we thank you for laying down your life. We thank you for being the one who would serve the greatest need that could ever be met. We thank you for being the substitute for us, for paying the price for our sin. We know that your body was broken, was bruised, and bled for our sin. We thank you for taking the penalty upon yourself that we could be forgiven. So we ask now that you will make these symbols very real in our minds, as we reflect upon your suffering and your sacrifice, as well as what it has accomplished. We pray your blessing upon the, the bread and we, we ask that we are mindful that it represents your perfect sinless life. And for this cup, that represents your suffering and your bloodshed. There was, again, the, 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 the penalty, the payment that was made for us. So as a church family, we come together around your table asking for a special blessing as we seek to obey your word today by remembering your life and your death. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This time, we'll take the, uh, the bread together. I'd like to read again from 1 Corinthians 11. whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And it goes on to say, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We live in light of his return. And we live knowing that he continues to provide because he is indeed a risen savior and one whom we continue to worship. At this time, we're going to have a, a, uh, a response time. And uh, the ushers are going to come. They're going to receive the offering. I believe we're also going to take up a benevolence offering at the doors after the service to help with needs within our church family or community. And so think about that as well as we, uh, as we give this morning. I also want to invite the prayer and encouragement team, if they would, to make their way over to the side tables. Because today we've covered a lot of ground. And uh, there may be some among us that say, I, I want to know this Lord. I want Him to be my Savior. And today can be a day for you to trust in Jesus, to know Him, not, not in, a, in the form of a religion, but in the form of a relationship. And so those team members that are over there will be ready to talk with you about that. Maybe you'd like to, to formally join the church, or maybe you would like to be baptized. We're going to have a baptism service in just, uh, uh, actually, I believe next week. We have another one uh, scheduled, so uh, it's not too late. If you'd like to, uh, to be baptized, uh, speak with the members over there. Or maybe you've come and you have a heavy heart, and there's something in your life that you'd like someone to, to pray with you about. These team members will be ready to receive you. Either during the song or after, uh, after the, uh, the song is over, you can stop by and see them. Let's bow as we ask a blessing upon this offering. Father, we thank you again for the time of worship today. And we know that even as we give today, that this is also a, a part of our worship. Knowing that you have provided and you have given to us. And we now are able to give back in tithes and offerings. May you bless what is given today. May you use it for your glory and for your purpose, for your mission in this church and around this world. For it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.